So we are going to uh, be continuing on in our series uh, today called Pretend. Uh, this is actually going to be a last part in our series on Pretend. Now, as we've been going through the series, we've been talking about these different ways that we put on these masks to try to be more religious or righteous or, or more even put together sometimes than really we are and how Jesus says, hey, there's actually a better way. And what you do in private, not what you do in public, is really what determines how you are with God. And before we dive into talking about this last practice of righteousness, I want to talk to you specifically about how we're going to, as a church, gather together, rally together, and begin to lean into prayer like never before. Uh, we, I felt like God was laying on this, uh, this idea of prayer on our hearts really, really heavy here recently, and we, uh, as we had some conversations with different people, um, we decided that we wanted to start these things that we're going to call City Nights, and, and right now we've got three of them uh, that we have already leaned into. Um, the first one is going to be tomorrow night. Um, tomorrow night, it's October 4th, 6.30, uh, we're going to meet right down there at the pavilion, and the heartbeat of these nights of prayer would be to see an awakening in our city. I feel like for far too long, the church has kind of just gone cold and informal. And man, I know one of the things that, that the enemy did through COVID is he made Christianity easier to be lethargic about. It was easier to miss things. It was easier to gather. There was more fear. There was more anxiety. There was a lot of things. And a lot of the issues that were already there, one of the things I believe the enemy did through all of that is he just turned COVID as a thing to really highlight those in a lot of ways, to just completely uncover kind of what had already been under the carpet in a lot of people's lives. See, because the church, I think, had just become a crutch for a lot of people. And when the church got pulled out from under people's lives, they realized that maybe there was no Jesus. And what I want us to do as a church is rally together because I really do believe, and this is crazy, I really do believe prayer changes things. And I believe when we gather together collectively to prayer, that is multiplying the power and energy and effort that I believe that God wants to do in the city. And so um, our first one is going to be tomorrow night. Um, here's some of the things you need to know about it. It's for everybody. At the heart of this thing was that, it, that if there was one thing we knew about this night is we didn't want these nights to be about MCC. We wanted them to be about the city. And so we're going to be praying specifically that God will begin to break some strongholds of sin in our city, that he would awaken his church uh, to be uh, renewed in the fire and zeal that I believe he wants his church to have for the city. So here's what I want you to do, all right? Put it on your calendar, make a point to be there, but also bring somebody with you, whether it's a neighbor. And again, like this is a really easy ask. Like this isn't as hard as when I say, hey, go find a non-Christian friend and bring them to Jesus. This is, hey, go find somebody who is a Christian and say, hey, do you like Believe in the power of prayer. Okay, cool. Well, let's go to this thing. Um, that's where we're going to be doing it. So I really, really encourage you to be a part of that. All right? I'm going to pray. We're going to dive in. Jesus, we love you. We, we thank you that as your church, God, we believe that you're on the move, um, that you want to do amazing things in and through us, that you didn't um, allow uh, almost 34 years ago a church to be planted here in the city um, just so a church could be planted here in the city to say there was a church planted in the city. But you sent this church to this city so that it would look more like the kingdom of heaven. And Father, that is what we ask. We ask that your kingdom will come and that your will will be done in and through us so that it would be done in here, in the city, in the state, 
And God, however far you want to see it go, let us be found faithful with what you've given us until you return for us. In your name, amen. I want to talk to you about something that happened in 2016. You guys remember 2016? It's hard to remember anything after 2020, but 2016 uh, was not too long ago. And in 2016, one of the things that was you know, already kind of a big deal but became even more of a big deal was this thing called a selfie. Anybody ever taken a selfie before? Okay, almost all of us, even the ones who are too old to admit it. Like, yes, we've all taken selfies. So in 2016, this is one of the first laws that ever came into account on this in Mumbai, India. Anybody ever... Mumbai? Anybody ever been to Mumbai? Cool. Uh, we have some missionary partners in India. Pray for India. It's crazy over there. Um, in Mumbai, India, they established 16 no selfie zones. All right. So you are not allowed. It is illegal to take a selfie in these particular places. Um, they did this in response to a, a series of deadly accidents that were happening as people were trying to take selfies in these particular places. Now, Mumbai is not alone. Uh, there's an article in the Washington Post that reported that over 250 people have died in recent years attempting to take, you guessed it, selfies. Now, I don't know about you, like, when I heard that, I felt like, that's low. Like, I've been in national parks and places that are dangerous and around wild animals, and I was like, I just, for some reason, I, there's a lot of people in the world. I just thought that would have been more. Um, so, when you hear that number, and you know that that's happening, the data says that the most common cause of, I don't know if this is the right way to cause it or, or to identify this, the most common cause for selfie death is being drowned. After that, it was car wrecks. After that, it was falling. After that, it was firearms. Um, after that was animal attacks, which again, uh, selfie with a grizzly bear, bad idea, always. Um, selfie with poisonous steaks, bad idea, always. Um, and again, I don't know how this one happens, uh, but the last one uh, was electrocution. Uh, so I, I tell you all of that to point out something that dials up the point we've been trying to make in the series as a whole. Uh, throughout the series, one of the things we've been saying is our desire to be seen by others is figuratively killing us. But I'm here today to report to you that our desire to be seen by others is not just figuratively killing us, but it is literally killing us. And I don't tell you that to make you like, oh man, like that's, that's, a, that's a bummer. That's kind of a, a tough way to start it. But I, I think the reason why we would go to such crazy length to not even physically or figuratively do these things, but physically things would happen that would end people's lives because they were trying to get a picture to post to get attention. But what in the world is behind all of that that would make us do something like that? I think if I had to guess, it's this simple reality that every single person in this room with a breath in your lungs, every single person watching online, all of us want our lives to matter. All of us. We want our lives to matter. And we live in this culture that's kind of like saturated with celebrities. And like even like you, like right now, you could close your eyes and you could think of like 20 celebrities, boom, like that. But if I said, mention or name your top 20 friends, it would take you so much longer. But if I said, name 20 celebrities, you could do it in no time flat. And we've come to believe that our lives really only matter in direct proportion to how many people notice us. Now, you're sitting here, and I can just hear it. If you're like my generation up, you're going, well, that's kind of a teenage problem. That's for, you know, like us boomers, we don't, we don't face that. Like, we don't want people to notice us. I, I disagree. And here's why. I've had my grandparents, and it's very passive-aggressive. Um, you're good at that. Um, 
very passive aggressively get on to me for not calling them enough, not taking the kids over to their house enough, and not doing those things enough. So where a younger generation may say, I want to know that I matter, and I base that off how many likes or views or hearts or whatever frilly things that are out there on the interweb. Like I base whether or not I matter based off of how people respond to that. An older generation is asking the same question. Do I still matter? I'm retired. I don't, have a, I don't have a job. I wake up and I read the news and I make breakfast and it's still only 5.30 a.m. And I'm like, what, what am I doing? <laughs> See, both sides of the coin are asking the same question. Do I matter? And one's seeking it from maybe something that's happening online. The other's like, do I matter? And, and I'm basing that off whether my kids call me and my grandkids come to visit without me having to kind of twist their arm or be passive aggressive about it. See, we're all asking that question. Do I matter? What I've come to find is what Jesus has been saying through the Sermon on the Mount is that what's done in secret is really what matters most. And I think what we've dug into and we're going to continue to round out today is that the more we developed an intimacy with Jesus, a more intimate relationship with God, the less we actually strive for the attention and the approval of other people, including random strangers online. But here's what I, I, this is kind of like the gold at the end of the rainbow. When you actually begin to lean into that intimacy, begin to lean into, hey, what's actually most important is what I do in the secret place with God. What actually happens is you come to the place where you find out the secret that eludes masses and millions of people. And that secret is this, our lives do matter. Not because someone noticed something that I posted, not because the grandkids came to visit or I had to, didn't have to call for them to call me. They matter because the king of the universe, the heavenly father God, sees my every move, knows my every thought. The Bible talks about my coming in, my going out, my laying down, my getting up, every anxious thought of mine, he knows me. Now, I think that reason is the very reason that Jesus said what he said in Matthew 6.1. That's kind of the, Matthew 6.1 is this section that we've been in here in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6.1 is kind of the banner that all of these other things that Jesus says, here are these practices of righteousness I'm calling you to live out. Matthew 6.1 is him saying, here's how you do these things in order to live a life that God goes, that's what I'm talking about. That's real righteousness. That's where the reward is. Now, I don't know about you, but like I'm all for reward. Like, if there's a way to live this life in a way where you get rewards from God, sign me up. I'm for that. So in 6.1, Matthew 6.1, he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. And he says beware because he knows that it's something we would just naturally stumble into. And if you're not paying attention, you're going to find yourself coming to church so that other people notice you went to church. You're gonna find yourself posting on social media things maybe about Jesus, so maybe that other people notice that you posted something about that. You're gonna find yourself giving, you're gonna find yourself praying, you're gonna find yourself doing those things. If you don't beware, you'll find yourself doing those things, thinking you're more righteous than you really are. And it really was just because you want other people to see how righteous you thought you were. So he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For when you will, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. 
So he said, here's a surefire way to miss out on the good things that God has for you. Do what you do to be seen by other people. Now, the three practices that he's flown under that banner of, okay, be careful of practicing your righteousness. The first practice he talked about was giving, specifically giving to the poor. And he says, don't give to the poor and to the trumpet. Don't give to the poor and try to make sure everybody knows about it. He says, when you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand doing. And the simple way we talked about that was saying, hey, those moments where you're tempted to share with everybody about what God's doing or what you gave, shh, stop. And those moments where you're tempted to keep everything that God's doing in your life a secret, those are the ones you actually need to share. That's how we juxtapose what Jesus said earlier in the Sermon on the Mount of like, hey, let your light shine before men. And then what he's saying here, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Share when you're tempted to hide and hide when you're tempted to share. From there, he goes on and he talks about prayer. And he talked about how we can pray in a way where we're in this secret place of prayer And what God does in those moments where it's just us and him, we're not trying to impress anybody, we're not trying to um, put anything together, we're just coming to God as a child comes to a father, looking for him to provide for us, to protect us, to tell us, um, I'm proud of you, I'm thankful for you, and to hear from him that he loves us, that he cares for us, we surrender our will to his will. We talk through that, and today, we're going to lean into this last practice of righteousness. So we hit on giving, we hit on prayer, now we're going to be talking about fasting, which all of us collectively go... And everybody in the room is probably already hungry. So like, get ready for a sermon on fasting, 11 o'clock crowd. This is, again, where you're at an advantage. If you are online, you can press pause and go grab Snickers or Snickerdoodles. I don't even, uh, cookies, coffee, anything you want. Um, but don't do that. Lean into God's word. All right, Matthew 5, we're going to read through it. Uh, or Matthew 6, uh, that's where we're going to be. We're going to read through this and then kind of like we've been doing, go through, unpack it kind of word by word. Everybody in Matthew 6, if you're not, say hold up. No hold-ups, good. Okay, let's do it. Matthew six sixteen. This is the word of Jesus. He says, when you do fast, when, key word, when, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. There's that word again, hypocrites. He keeps calling those folks out. For they disfigure their faces to show men that they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that, you, or so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting but only to your heavenly Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. All right? What are we talking about here? First thing we're going to talk about is the expectations of fasting. So we're going to talk about the expectations of fasting. Then we're going to get to kind of why and what fasting actually is. So first of all, from the expectation side, and this is where we got to kind of like put it in park, pull over to the side of the road, and have a heart-to-heart conversation. Because when it comes to fasting, we did these first two things, and like when it comes to giving to people who are poor, we're like, yeah, that's kind of a given. Like, that's what Christians do. Like, you could talk to a non-Christian in the room. They're like, yeah, Christians are supposed to give. I mean, like, even the people who come up to you and beg for money, they, like, kind of look out to try to, like, see if they can tell anything outwardly. Ooh, that, D- that guy's got a WWJD braces on. I'm going to definitely go ask him for some money um, and, like, point that out. Hey, what would Jesus do? Give me $5? Like, even people who don't know Jesus, they know, like, hey, if you follow Jesus, you're supposed to give. That's just kind of a given. And nobody would say, I can have active, growing, like, fruit of the Spirit just busting out the scenes of my life with Jesus if I'm never giving generously. If I serve a God who so loved the world that he gave his only son and I'm not giving, why am I expecting to be growing? That's dumb. So, that's giving. And he comes over here to praying. And again, same thing. 
And he uses the same terminology. He, didn't, he said, when you give. And now he goes to prayer. When you pray, all right? Which again, we all in the room would kind of go like, yes, if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have to talk to him. If you're going to have a healthy marriage, any sort of relationship with anybody, you're going to have to communicate with them verbally. You're going to have to hear what they're saying to you, and you're going to have to talk to them. That's going to be just you know, class 101 of having a relationship with somebody. So when you pray. So if you got when you give, it's kind of a given. When you pray, obviously a given. And then you're here when it comes to fasting. And we get to fasting and we're like, oh, well, my blood sugar. And uh, okay, oh, I fasted from the newspaper. Does that count? Um, I, I cut the cord. I don't watch cable anymore. Is that fa-? Like when it comes to fasting, this is where we're just like, we got these two. But this whole thing of fasting, we're, and, I, and admittedly, I, I, don't, I, I don't food fast a whole lot. I fast for some other things in my life. But when it comes to specifically food, I'm not there either. And if it was like a chart, like prayer or giving and prayer, it's fasting. Like, and that's, that's most of our lives. But put this in context. See, that's the problem with, I think, a lot of what we do with Scripture. Like we just take these uh, biblical things or these doctrinal things and we just say, oh, that's a thing. But no, put it in the context of what Jesus is talking about. There's no one who would read this beginning portion of Matthew 6 and go, giving is optional. There's no one who would read Matthew 6, this next little portion where he talks about prayer and go, prayer is optional. So, there, so why do we hit the next part of 16 through 18 when he talks about fasting and go, yeah, if I get to it, if I really need God to answer a big prayer, if I really mess something up and I want to have a season of repentance, who really are asking, you know, if it's election season, No. I don't just pray when it's election season. I don't give when there's just when there's a need. But that's kind of how we were at with fasting. And again, not, not to beat anybody with a hammer of guilt here, but I want us to realize that Jesus put these three together for a reason. And what if the reason you don't feel like growth is really happening in your life is because you've really only been operating with two out of the three instead of this powerful connection allowing your faith in your head to come out through your hands as you extend it to someone else. Allowing the faith that's in your, your head and your heart to be vocalized through your mouth to give to other people. And then allow the opposite of those two, allow yourself to say no to the desires of the flesh, no to what you would crave to say, Jesus, I want more of you. So right off the bat, Jesus says, here's the expectation of fasting. And right off the bat, most of us will go, we're not meeting that expectation. Now, it goes through. 16, he says, when you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites. They disfigure their face, that fasting, for they may be seen by others. He says, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Now, again, he's saying they've received their reward. So we've talked about when. Now I want to jump into how. I want to make sure that we understand the what of fasting and the why of fasting before we jump into the how, though, all right? So let's talk about that. What in the world is fasting, all right? For a lot of us in the room, we just think, okay, that's why I just don't eat for a little while, which, yes, that is part of it, but it's bigger than that. The Bible gives a bunch of different times where people fast, and I kind of took a lot of those and put them into a little bit of a a definition that I want to give you guys that hopefully this makes a little bit of sense. Fasting is denial of the flesh in order to gain a response from the Spirit. It's denial from the flesh, to gain a response from the Spirit. Here's how I explain this. 
you may have heard me talk about this before. As a human being created, and I believe the image and likeness of God, you are what I would call a trichotomy, which means that you are made up of three different aspects of your being. And that would be, in my opinion, this is how the Bible puts them in this order. You are spirit, then you are soul, and then you are a body, okay? In that order. I believe you look at the biblical importance. That is how it goes. You are soul. That's a part of you. When the Bible says that, that man was created in the image and likeness of God. That doesn't mean that you kind of have a, you bear a resemblance to God and like God has two legs like you have two legs. That means that the eternal aspects of God, that he is, is, is not just something that, that dies or starts over, that, that, that reality about God, that there is something inside. There's a spirit inside that will carry on and spend an eternal destination in one or two places. That's something that God put in there. That's the of God part of you. Next is just what we've talked about as your soul. And oftentimes this is referred to in different ways in the Bible. It can kind of be sometimes confusing. Sometimes in the Bible you'll, you'll see, hear it say your mind. Like a verse like Romans 12 too, it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Other times it'll be referred to as your heart. When it talks about your heart is deceitful above all ways. What it's getting at here when it's referring to your heart, soul, mind, kind of those things. What it's after here is your operating system. Think about how your phone, every now and then it just asks you for, hey, do you want to upgrade this thing? It's, it's the operating system on your phone. It's the reasons why. It's what's hardwired in to why you do what you do, why you think what you think, why you eat what you eat, why you watch what you watch. Your operating system. It's the reason why you can be saved, you can get baptized, you can come out of the water, and you still do bad, dumb things. Because your operating system hasn't fully been renewed yet. And then you have your body. And I don't have to go into great lengths explaining your body and how it works. And the world we live in, it says that this is the order of those priorities. Your body. My body, my choice. Everything is about my body. And I'll spend crazy amounts of things to make my body look different. I will get depressed and anxious because my body doesn't look like how I want it to look. I will... There are young people all across the nation who are doing really painful, horrible, terrible things because they don't think their body looks like the way it should look. Maybe they may have been made fun of that or by parental pressure made to feel like that that needs to change in a certain way because everything is resting on the idol of the God of the body. That's why women after a birth to a few kids, well, this is, this is the way this thing is. It's useless. No, you brought life into the world. That's why men, well, I'm, I'm, I can't be masculine unless I'm, I can do 50 push-ups in a row. No. The spirit of the Son of God is alive in you. The most masculine person ever walked the face of the earth. Jesus Christ is alive in you, sir. You can be. It's not about your body. We make everything about the body. We succumb to the body's desires. And then there's this soul. And we talk about the soul. And that's, I guess, where we talk about sending good vibes my way, and we, we, we have the soul, and this is kind of this inside part that our world talks about a little bit, and we really never get to this spirit side, because then we would have to have a conversation of, do I just become worm dirt when I die, or is there some eternal aspect of my life? Is there an eternal good and an eternal bad, and how do I end up on one plane or the other? Is there a heaven? Is there a hell? We don't want to talk about souls and if there's a destination that mine could have, and our world does everything that it can to get us focused on category one and category two. And this is why I believe Jesus in this section here, in this context, just puts fasting 
The same place he does giving and the same place he does prayer. Because what fasting does in a world where Jesus, Jesus looks upstream to 2021 and he says, I see how crooked and wicked and depraved everything is going to become when all of these things happen. How everything in all of society is centrifugal around someone's body. And what they put into it. How somebody's going to use something like a vaccine to completely divide my church based on what happens to somebody's body. He says, what if? What if we fasted and we put the body in the order that it belonged in? Third, we said, what if we say no to the body so that the soul and the spirit can begin to be fed and nourished by the God who created them? And that's why we fast. And what happens when we fast, because in the Bible, there's a bunch of different reasons why people fasted. Two of the main ones, I don't have time to dig into this, it's not gonna be a comprehensive study on fasting, but some of the reasons why people fasted was oftentimes they would have a God encounter. Uh, one of the main ones that I can think of in this is Moses when he has, he's been given by God the Ten Commandments. He comes down off the mountain, he's been given the commandments, and he's just like living it. Like he's just, I just had this encounter with God. And so he goes into a fast after already having an encounter with God which is maybe counter to how we've a lot, of, a lot of times thought about this. We think, I want to have an encounter with God, so I'm going to fast to try to work it up. No, God goes, no. It's kind of like, you're gonna, I'm going to give you this Ruth Christ of God experience steak. I'm going to let you chew and marinate on that thing, and how dare you go from here and eat the lime sherbet that the world has to offer you in regular food when I've just given you this spiritual meat of an encounter with me. Other times it was, you know, repentance. The nation would be turning away from sin and turning towards righteousness, so they would fast. We see it in a really awesome way in the life of Jesus when he's led by the Holy Spirit out into the wilderness and he's led for 40 days and 40 nights of fasting to encounter the enemy. Satan comes to him. And again, this is so how Satan is like really stupid. Um, ah. He's really stupid but really smart at the same time. And, and I, what I love, I, I think he's really smart about us uh, I, do, I do believe that about Satan. He, he knows us really well because I think there's more, I have to be very careful on how I say this, because we, we have fallen to sin, as has Satan. There is, I think Satan has more in common or his thinking and his way he operates things is a little bit more in common with how we operate and how we think things. That's why I see Satan do a lot of things that kind of go tail and tail with how we think and how we operate. I think it's how he can kind of predict what we're going to do way before we do it. But he always seems like almost the backwards opposite of what God is doing. And so if you think about it from the 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, you, if you put yourself in Satan's box, you're going, ooh, I see Jesus out there in the wilderness. I'm going to let him stay out there a long, 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 long time. I'm going to wait till he gets good and hungry, good and thirsty, good and lonely, and then I'm going to go tempt him because he's going to be weak. But Satan doesn't understand how fasting works. He doesn't understand that God over and over again has talked about when you are weak, then you are strong. When you surrender, again, what we talked about from the trichotomy of our life of being spirit, soul, and then body. When you say no more and more and more and more to the body and that no eventually reverberates into the soul, then your spirit is actually at its strongest. Which, again, who led Jesus out there in the first place? He was led into wilderness by the spirit. So he actually comes to Jesus at his strongest and strikes out swinging. One, two, three. And there's this awesome other passage that I, I love uh, where the disciples, 
Jesus sends these guys out um, on like a mission trip that he doesn't go on, which I like that leadership style. Um, <laughs> y'all go do that. Um, he kind of just lets them have a, a scrimmage game against Satan, so to speak. And so they go out, and he sends them out, and they, they, they go out, and they kind of go two by two, and they come back, I mean, just looking like their dog pile, like they won the World Series. Guys are coming in from different places, just high-fiving each other, telling all these stories about how they were casting out demons and doing all these things, and they're just fired up. And then a couple of passages later, this guy shows up on the scene who's possessed by a demon, and you got to see these guys, man. They're just coming off this spiritual high, like post-camp. They've, they've just got back casting out demons. They're just rolling their sleeves. They're like, come on, bro. Let's get this. And this guy comes out. And it, one after one, none of these disciples can get the demon out of this guy. And so, and again, I don't, I don't, I don't know what the whole point in all of this was or how many times this happened. But they're here, and they realize that they have no chance against this demon. So they're like, Jesus, we need your help. Which... Sidebar here, in your faith, what got you here will never get you there. Don't ever think, don't ever try to ride some spiritual high because Jesus will throw something right back in your life that you can't deal with, that you have to come back to him. And if you see that in the disciples, that's one thing you see over and over as a recurring thing. So Jesus comes on the scene, this guy's got the demon. And it's like Jesus, he just kind of like looks up from his you know, turkey leg he's eating, he's just like, demon, get out of there. And like, demon's gone. And the disciples are all just sitting around going, What? We've been, doing, we've been out here for like an hour and a half. Jesus trying to pray and fast, and we run circles around this guy. Like, what in the world? Why couldn't we do it? And Jesus just pauses and looks him in the eyes, I think, and just says, listen, this type of demon can only come out by prayer and fasting, which says that there is some sort of power in here. And, and, and again, <clears throat> how much of that type of power are we experiencing in our daily lives? Like, and again, I don't think Jesus is necessarily asking us to cast demons out of folks. It's hard to, I mean, good luck having that conversation at work. Um, boss, let's, let's sit down. <laughs> uh, I got a feeling that, uh, no, like that, that's, that's not necessarily where it is. But here's what I do know, and this is one of the things we're going to be leaning into tomorrow night, is I believe in our city there are, are what, in the Bible it talks about we don't wage war against flesh and blood, but we wage war against these spiritual strongholds that have been set up. Over and over again in the Bible, there are things where there are times when God is identified as a stronghold. Like that's literally his definition and his identity. One of my favorite verses of all time, Psalm 18.2. It says, the Lord is my rock, the strength of my, my, strength of my salvation, my stronghold. Yeah, that's the identity that it gives God. It's a military thing. Like this is the fortress. This is where I can hide out. This is where I can live. This is my stronghold. But in the opposite end, Paul refers to a stronghold as this this embankment that the enemy has set up around a certain way of thinking and processing things that has allowed it to be a prison for people who are now being held captive by those sins. We're going to tackle some of those strongholds tomorrow night. We're going to tackle the stronghold of, of pride. We're going to tackle the stronghold of greed in our city. We're going to tackle the stronghold of division in our city. And we're going to tackle the stronghold of fear. Because I believe those are the supernatural places where the enemy has set himself up in our city. And I believe that prayer and fasting is the only way those things are broken. So let's talk about, as we wrap up, the how. And again, it's not as complicated as I think we would make it. So when Jesus talks about how, Matthew 17, or 6, 17, <clears throat> he says, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. 
which for some of us, those kind of self-explanatory. I'm going to read this passage to you in the message. The message is a paraphrase of the Bible by a guy named Eugene Peterson. He wasn't just some random dude who was like, I want to put this in my own language. He was a, is a Greek and a Hebrew scholar who uh, was also a pastor who put this in his own language. And this is what he said. Uh, this is that same passage that we read earlier. He said, when you practice some appetite-denying discipline, that's how he defined fasting, an appetite-denying discipline, to better concentrate on God, don't make a production out of it. It might turn you into a small-time celebrity, but it won't make you a saint. If you go into training inwardly, act normal outwardly. Shampoo and comb your hair, brush your teeth, wash your face. God doesn't require any attention-getting devices. He won't overlook what you're doing. He will reward you. And though in verse 18, Jesus kind of wraps this up and he says, um, he said, tell, that's the reason why he tells them to do all those things, to wash your face. He says, that your fasting may not be seen by other people, but by your Father who, is in sec- who sees what's done in secret. And again, that's been the recurring thing. When God sees what we do in secret, he rewards. Because he knows that we're doing it for his approval and not the other people. And the dangerous thing, like this is the really, <clears throat> this is the thing that Satan doesn't want you to know, is doing things for other people's approval, whether it's righteous things or unrighteous things. Doing those things for other people's approval makes you a slave to their approval or their disapproval. But doing things for God approval, it sets you free. Because now I'm not living for an audience of all those people. I've got an audience of one. And man, there is freedom in one. One boss. One person who's in charge. Saying, hey, I'm, I'm living this, doing this for you and for you alone. So Jesus says that when we do those things, there is a reward. And I, and I want us to realize that re- the reward is not how we've tried to get it. Because oftentimes when I've counseled people through fasting, and even myself, the times when i fasted, it's been times when I've come to God, I'm like, God, I need an answer. I remember the first time I ever did it, I was trying to figure out what college to go to. I was a high school kid, and I was trying to fast. And so my, my youth pastor gave me a book by a guy named Richard Foster called Celebration of Disciplines, way out of my league. And he told me that. He was like, I'm going to give you this. Probably going to melt your brain, but read it anyway. Um, and he, did, he didn't tell me to read the whole thing. He said, just read the part about fasting. Uh, so I read that, and I prayed. And what I was doing in that is I was trying to kind of twist God's arm. I was like, God, I'm really serious about needing this answer. And I want to show you how serious I am by fasting. And I think the problem in that is I wanted God's answers more than I wanted God. I wanted to hear from him more than I wanted him. And if you've ever been a parent, you know what that's like. My kid's just asking you question after question after question after question after question after question. And you're like, just relax. I've got this. I'll take care of it. We'll be good together. In this uh, season of COVID and everything else, uh, one of the things I've been, I've been doing a whole lot more than I used to is listening to dead guys. Um, I have found that in 2021, dead people have a lot better things to say than alive people. Um, there's this guy named Leonard Ravenhill, which is a sweet name. Um, two of my favorite Leonards ever, Leonard Skinner and Leonard Ravenhill. Um, just kind of right up my alley when I saw this guy. Um, here's a quote I wanted to show you, man. It was just kind of this rally cry stuff that just, it just hit me in a good place I wanted to share with you guys. He said, quit playing, start praying. Quit feasting, start fasting. Talk less with men, talk more with God. Listen less to men. Listen to the words of God. Skip the trav and start the travail. And those of you, you know, you're not 
old and dead like Leonard Ravenhill, and you don't use those two words at the end there. Uh, travail, it means painful and burdensome work. And that's what it's going to be. It's not going to be easy. And that's why I love the lines of that song that we sang. And it's been on my heart. I've been singing it all through 2020, 2021 now. Um, and, and the word that I love in there, the word that stuck out from the very first time I heard it was negotiations. And I don't know about you, but like COVID made me a better negotiator with God. That whole season of like, oh, do we have, like, I don't know, well, things are spiking. Should we, you know, can we have them over? Can we do that? Should we open? Maybe not. I don't know. Like, I don't It just made me better at negotiating. And I love the line where it says, I stop all negotiation with the God of all creation. You're bigger than I thought. Now listen, I'm gonna, I'm gonna challenge us as a church to fast. And the time I'm gonna challenge you to fast is tomorrow. You can wake up. I would invite us all into this. You don't have to do this. But here, here's how I would challenge you to it. Wake up, eat you a big breakfast. Big as you can. Now, if you're the type of person who wakes up at the crack of noon, okay, like this doesn't count. Like I'm talking about if you wake up early, like you actually have to go to work. Like if nine o'clock, like you have to eat breakfast by nine o'clock. You didn't eat nine, nine o'clock doesn't count. Eat breakfast, nine o'clock, skip lunch, show up at six o'clock with a hunger inside of you as your appetite that I hope mirrors the appetite that you have to see God move as we collectively gather together and pray. And after that night's over, you can either let it roll on into the next day or you can go grab dinner together with somebody at the prayer meeting. Maybe you invite a friend. You say, hey, we're, let's go grab dinner after this. That's a great invitation. Hey, I want to grab dinner, but first let's go to this prayer thing. They'll probably say yes to that, especially if you say, I'll buy your dinner. But that's what I want to invite us into. And if you can't be a part of that, that's okay. I still encourage you to find some point this week. Skip two meals. Skip two meals back to back. That's plenty enough for you to begin to feel that in your heart. Now listen, when that happens, and even tomorrow, you're going to start negotiating with yourself. You're going to say, I've got a meeting at 3 o'clock, and I don't want to walk into this meeting hangry. That is you negotiating. So stop all negotiating with the God of all creation, and don't go eat a Snickers. And see what God begins to do when some of the strongholds begin to be broken because his people rallied around both prayer and fasting. We're going to sing this song uh, one more time. And we got a really special thing that's going to happen after that as we get to see uh, a young person experience a God who really is bigger than they thought and them surrendering to his big, enormous plan for their life. So stick around. Don't go anywhere. Um, we're going to get to see someone give their life to Christ today through baptism. And my prayer is as you're listening to this and as you listen to this message today and you've been thinking through and processing these things, like if, if you know that God is leading you to something like baptism, if God is leading you to something like salvation or maybe a big step of like giving or, or trying to fast or those types of things, we want to be in prayer for that. And if you're being led towards baptism or salvation, um, write out one of those connect cards. We want to lead you into that. Like fill one of those out. Take one of those. Fill it out. We want to walk through that with you as you take that big step toward a big God. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your love, grace, and mercy. As we come to you today, I pray that you would fill us up in a new and fresh way, God, so that we can be used by you like never before. Meet the lost, meet the broken, meet the person doubting and afraid. And show them just how much you love them. And let them know you love them enough to meet them where they're at and take them to us next. Be the slight encouragement for the step they need to take today. A gentle nudge, God. You're not going to pull any of us kicking and screaming. But for the person looking for a sign, I pray that these words would be their sign. 
or the person needing a nudge that they would feel it right now in their spirit to say yes to baptism, to say yes to you, to even now in the quietness of their heart to whisper, I surrender all to you, Jesus. In your name.